Hello, our Gabby Gabbers and Chatty Cathy's. And that sounds so weird coming from me and not Natalie. (laughs) But we were recording our mini gab for today. And the internet went out in Arkansas because there is a big ass storm. So Natalie tried so hard. She used a hotspot from her phone, but the delay was two minutes and it just was not working. So instead of a typical mini gab, we are going to be giving you our first episode of Rave or Rage from Patreon. So this is a one-time only exclusive of the episodes you get on Patreon. And if you like it and you want more, which you should, you got to go to Patreon and join. That's patreon.com slash historical AF pod. And also a reminder, if you join right now, you get entered into a contest to win a prize pack. It has a ghost hunting shirt book. There's going to be an opportunity to come on our podcast and we are going to do an in-depth dive into the haunted history of your hometown. So it'd be really cool. You should definitely join. I really hope you guys like this episode. I have so much fun making them and I love them so much. And my husband really likes being on the podcast too. So if you like him, definitely post on social media because he'll really like that. (laughs) All right, guys, thank you so much for understanding. We will be back Sunday and we will have our special guest. It is Caden from the Happy Hour History Podcast. And we will be bringing you Diseases Part 1. Okay, bye. Enjoy. everybody, this is Kina, and welcome to the first ever Rave or Rage. So you're probably wondering what the hell this episode is even about. I don't blame you, but hey, I'm going to tell you now. I am so excited to be bringing you guys this monthly Patreon-only episode where I'm going to talk about art history. I am going to choose one piece of art per episode. I'm going to paint you a magical, brilliant picture with my words, and then I'm going to discuss the history. I'm really going to deep dive into where it was painted, why it was painted, is it significant? And then I'm either going to rant or rave about its importance to humanity, or if it's overrated and I hate it. (laughs) And then finally, I'm going to ambush my husband and get his opinion of the piece. Full disclosure, he gives zero fucks about art history. And uh, so it's going to be pretty funny. I'm going to ask him if he knows what the painting is. I'm going to ask if he knows who painted it. I'm going to ask him to guess how I felt about the painting. And then finally, I'm going to ask him whether or not he likes it. All right, guys, strap on in because it's episode one and we're going to talk about the motherfucking Mona Lisa. Our girl was painted sometime between 1503 and 1506. Even though there are some scholars that believe that it was finished almost a decade later, but I'm going to get into that later. This painting was painted by Leonardo da Vinci. Ever heard of him? This might actually be a surprise to you because it was actually painted as oil on wood. Cottonwood to be exact because Leonardo didn't waste his time on basic shit like canvas. As far as the genre is considered, it is Renaissance portrait art. And if you have to place it in a movement, which art historians love that shit, it would be high renaissance. She's currently exhibited in the Louvre in Paris and is known to the Italians as La Gioconda and then to the French as Gioconde. Fun fact, the Guinness Book of World Records lists the Mona Lisa as having the highest insurance value ever for a painting in the entire history of humanity. 
She was assessed at $100 million in 1962, but with inflation and shit, the amount is $2.67 billion, billion with a B today. Jesus Christ. I will give my thoughts on this later. <laughs> All right. The painting is 77 by 53 centimeters, which for us Americans out there, that is 30 by 20 inches. You guys. That is two and a half wink wine bottles tall. And yes, I did measure. And yes, I have pictures. Excuse you, puppies. I am recording an important art history episode. <laughs> they give no fucks. All right. And it's the width of an average cat minus its tail. And yes, I also looked that up. And she is 18 pounds, which was also <laughs> the size of my cat. Don't judge me. This bitch is small, and I'm willing to bet smaller than you ever imagined because every TV show and movie fucking ever has her as this giant, grandiose painting, and it just pisses me off because she's fucking tiny. Anyway, <laughs> time to paint you a picture with my brilliant words. This piece features a portrait of a seated woman set against a imaginary, kind of hazy landscape. The painting is similar to what you'd see on a lot of Virgin Mary paintings, especially in Leonardo's, especially how she's dressed. The figure is believed to be Lisa Girondini, the wife of cloth and silk merchant Francisco Giocondo, hence that name I mentioned earlier, La Gioconda. The name Mona Lisa literally translates to My Lady Lisa in Italian. From the waist up, she is shown seated in a loggia or a room with at least one open side. The face is nearly frontal and the shoulders are turned three quarters towards the viewer and her hands are included in this image. And I know this doesn't seem like a big deal, but this is the first time a portrait has ever shown somebody frontal, but also showing their hands. I know this doesn't sound like a big deal, but it really fucking is because before this early Renaissance paintings were strict profile and cut off at the bust. So you never saw the hands. You never knew what was going on down there. Behind her is this hazy, seemingly isolated landscape imagined by the artist, and the painting is using a technique called sfumato, and this was something Leonardo really, really dug. It's kind of blurring the lines and borders to make it kind of smoky. There are some people recently that claim that they found the landscape that he's painting, and it is in the hills of Italy, but that hasn't been proven, so I did not include that. <laughs> Another part of this painting that people are very impressed with is that Leonardo created a very drastic contrast between this hazy, dark background and then the vibrantness of her face and hands because they're so light. The figure sits with her arms folded as she gazes at the viewer and appears to be softly smiling. And this smile, you guys, has been the one characteristic of this painting that has stuck with her for centuries. Something about her half smile, this kind of smirk, has made people from all over the world wonder what the fuck she's smiling at. The half-hearted or even ambiguous nature of the smile makes this iconic painting very enigmatic, which is the word you will see everywhere if you look up the Mona Lisa. And it kind of uh, prompts the viewers to try to understand the mood of the muse, but also the intention of the artist. Leonardo was very well known for riddles in like somewhat of like a puzzle out of all his art. So I think everybody expected there to be this much deeper meaning and that smile had to mean something. Her gaze is another part of the painting that kind of blows people's minds. Her eyes seem to follow you across the room. They actually call it the Mona Lisa effect. 
According to German researchers, this Mona Lisa effect actually does not occur in the painting. In fact, they claim that the woman is always looking about 15 degrees to your right, which means she's staring at your ears, not your eyes. So I find that a little bit creepier. She's not making eye contact. She's just staring at your ears. It's kind of rude. I think a very noticeable part of this as well is that she doesn't have eyebrows, but I'm going to get to that in a minute. And she also has a very high forehead, which I think people find kind of on. But this was actually very fashionable for the Renaissance women. And a lot of times women would actually shave their hairs, their baby hairs up in their forehead to create that look. And also her clothing, it's a very muted, dark colors, kind of green and gold. It reminds me a lot of Virgin Mary paintings that I've seen in the Renaissance. So I don't think it's any accident that he kind of posed her and dressed her in a way that kind of alluded to his paintings of the Virgin Mary. Another fun fact, a copy of the Mona Lisa was recently discovered in the collection of the Prado in Madrid. The background had been painted over, but when the painting was clean, scientific analysis revealed that the copy was likely painted by another artist who sat beside Leonardo and copied his work brushstroke by brushstroke. This copy gives us an idea of what the Mona Lisa might have looked like if layers of yellow varnish were removed. All right, let's deep dive into some history. (laughs) Are you excited? Have I lost you yet? Okay, I hope you're still here. All right, so most scholars now agree that the Mona Lisa was probably begun in Florence, Italy sometime in 1503, and then it was substantially completed around 1506, still in Florence. It's not the last painting that Leonardo painted, but it was probably the last portrait he painted. Nobody knows why Leonardo decided to renege on this painting agreement. He did not give the Mona Lisa to her husband as promised. He decided to keep it and he actually took it with him to France when he moved there in 1514 when he accepted an invitation by King Francis I to be the court painter. And he didn't take very many paintings with him. He took this one and he took his John the Baptist painting, but yeah, he didn't take a whole lot. So something about this painting actually kind of stuck with Leonardo himself. And this is where it gets a little bit iffy. A lot of art historians believe that Leonardo continued to work on the portrait on and off until his death in France in 1519. But regardless, his painting was hanging in his studio upon his death in France. And obviously we will talk about Leonardo da Vinci again, because he is just a genius. But one of the characteristics I find the most relatable (laughs) to Leonardo is that he was very, I don't want to say ADD and OCD, but I'm going to say ADD and OCD because I have that combination and I completely understand. He wanted to be perfect and he wanted everything to be absolutely precise, but he was so ADD that he would move on to the next project before he would finish the other one. And then he would kind of bounce around, which is exactly how I do my artwork. So I relate on such a, into my soul, I relate with him. So it's not hard for me to believe that he would take it with him and he would work on it off and on. Like he would see something, try to fix it. There were several layers to it. So there's, it's kind of hard to tell what he did and what somebody else did trying to fix it. Again, there's conflicting stories about how King Francis acquired this painting after Leonardo died, but he did, and by 1530s, he was the proud owner of the Mona Lisa, and he displayed her in the royal apartments at the Chateau de Fontainebleau, which I almost got to go there, but I blew all my money and I didn't get to go. (laughs) The Mona Lisa remained a prized possession of the kings of France for 200 fucking years, guys. 
She was passed down from king to king. She traveled like a princess between the royal residences of Fontainebleau, the Louvre, and Versailles. King Louis XIV was particularly proud of her, showing her off to many distinguished visitors at his court. But his successor, Louis XV, did not really care for her because he preferred the frivolous and often erotic paintings of artists like Fragonard and Boucher, which, hello, I can't wait to talk about them because they are delightful. Louis XV eventually banished the Mona Lisa to the office of the Directeur General au Lebantement du Roi. I probably butchered that. Okay, which means the keeper of the royal buildings at Versailles. Louis XVI was no more interested in her than his predecessor, so thus the Mona Lisa languished on the wall of an obscure government office, barely noticed by, except for a few bureaucrats, government officials, and their cleaning women until the French Revolution. Vive la Revolution! I mean, Louis XVI was executed, and that's unfortunate, but the Mona Lisa was then passed out of the possession of the kings of France and became the property of the French people. So, I mean, a little bit of a silver lining out of that revolution. A small anecdote, when I was in Paris, we went to the place where the guillotine was, where they chopped off the head of Marie Antoinette and her husband, Louis XVI. I was surprised because there was nothing there. Maybe the American in me was a little surprised because here there'd be a plaque and probably like a reconstruction of the guillotine and there'd be people taking pictures and like flowers everywhere. That was not the case. It was just a corner. So, but it was pretty cool. I got a picture of that corner and I was a nerd being like, Maria, it's when I died here. Uh, but it's totally normal, right? <laughs> the new museum at the Louvre officially opened in August of 1793 with an exhibition of over 500 paintings, though the Mona Lisa was not among them. The painting was not formally transferred to the Louvre from Versailles until 1797, but the painting was never seen by visitors of the museum since the building had been closed in 1796. The palace was found to be structurally unsound and too dark to display paintings. Um, a little fun fact, the Louvre was the palace of the kings of France until Versailles was created by Louis the Sun King. So it is incredibly large and until they had the money post-revolution, because we all know how the money worked out for that, it was kind of falling apart. The Louvre wouldn't open again until refurbishments were completed in 1801, but once again, the Mona Lisa was not available for display. This time, she was hanging in the bedroom of the most powerful man in France, Napoleon fucking Bonaparte. Now, I went to Versailles, and my little tour guide dude told me a story that said Napoleon became enamored by Mona Lisa. He was obsessed with her, and he hung her above the bed. So... I did not find any of this in my research, but I'm going to tell you anyway, because it was a cool story. So it says that Josephine, Napoleon's wife, was so irritated and jealous of the Mona Lisa that she told him that she had to get rid of it. They said that during the time that he did move it, a servant took her, became obsessed with her, rolled her up, put it underneath his bed, and then it stayed there until they found it. And then Napoleon displayed it somewhere else. So Josephine wouldn't be mad. But again, I didn't see this in any other article or source, so it's probably just one of those stories they tell you to make it sound more interesting, but who knows? Napoleon always spoke really respectfully of the painting, and he referred to her as Madame Lisa. Again, he was a little bit obsessed. The sources I did find said that Napoleon put it in his bedroom, didn't say over the bed, 
but did say it was in his personal bedroom in the Tuileries Palace suite and that it hanged there for four years until he crowned himself emperor in 1804. All the sources have mentioned that nobody else has had the balls or temerity to actually remove the Mona Lisa for their own personal pleasure. So there's that. Good old Napoleon. Never disappoints. When the Mona Lisa left Bonaparte's bedroom, she didn't go very far. She was moved across the Tuileries Gardens to the Musée Napoléon, as it is called the Louvre Museum today. Here she was installed in the Grand Gallery, along with hundreds of other noted works of art, which Bonaparte had looted from various countries on his many military campaigns. And this is one of my biggest rants ever. So Napoleon stole shit from everybody. They would go to Egypt and Greece and they, I know everybody's heard the story of him using the Sphinx's nose for target practice and like fucking that shit up. That's probably a legend, but they did steal so much art and it's become a huge deal right now. Like right now there are lawsuits going on all over the world, people begging the Louvre to give back their cultural heritage. So one argument is that because he brought it all to the Louvre, people have more access to it. But on the other hand, the cult- other countries are saying we did not consent for people to steal our heritage. We want it back so that we can show people here. So definitely, definitely can see both sides. All right. So back to the eyebrow controversy. Five years later in 1809, the painting was reframed. It was also clean and restored during the spring of 1809 by Jean-Marie who who is the museum's chief of restoration. In his quarterly report, he noted that he billed for 90 days at 14 francs, plus the cost of varnish, colors, and wine spirit for the work of the Portrait of the Mona Lisa by Leonardo da Vinci. The use of the wine spirits indicates that he tried to remove some of the old yellowing varnish, which had been applied to the painting over the centuries. It may also explain why the lady in the portrait lost her eyebrows. If he was too diligent in his cleaning, the eyebrows would have just poof, gone. They're out of there. And this is why people think this happened. So there's this guy named Giorgio Vasari, who is like the gossip mag of the art history world. That's probably the best way I can think. He loved drama. He loved to spill the tea on art history. And he wrote about literally everything. So for a lot of artworks, he's literally the only source. So he will come up a lot. But anyhow, Vasari said in 1547, The brows could not be more natural. The hair grows thickly in one place and lightly in another, following the pores of the skin. End quote. Yet by the time the Mona Lisa began to achieve some fame in the mid-19th century, she had no fucking eyebrows. (laughs) A very detailed technical examination of the painting conducted in 2005 revealed that just a few fine hairs painted in areas where eyebrows should be were there, but uh, not much else. So it does appear that this Hugestall guy scrubbed them away. He's probably like, oh my God, what have I fucking done? I just killed her eyebrows. And then he probably pretended like they weren't there. I didn't knew it. I don't know what you're talking about. There's no proof. But sorry, sir, there is proof. Moving on. <laughs> there has also been many cases of theft and vandalism. The Mona Lisa disappeared from the Louvre. On August 21st, 1911, Pablo Picasso was actually on the original list of suspects. He was questioned and jailed for the theft. He was later exonerated because they found the real guy. I find it hilarious. Pablo Picasso is just a bamf. 
he's one of those people that one of the rare instances in our history where he was famous in his lifetime and he knew he was famous. One of my favorite stories is that he would write checks for literally everything, even a cup of coffee, because he knew nobody would cash a check with his signature on it. It's fucking brilliant. Anywho, for two years, the masterpiece was thought to be forever lost. But in 1913, an Italian patriot named Vicenzo Perugia was arrested for the crime for stealing the famous painting. And then finally, the painting returned to the Louvre where it's been ever since. Perugia was an employee of the Louvre at the time, and he believed that the painting belonged to Italy. That day, he slipped in the Louvre around 7 a.m. to the salon after spending a night in a broom closet. I mean, at least he was committed, right? He unhooked the Mona Lisa, dismounted the frame, then hide the work under his clothes before leaving the museum quietly. Jesus Christ. And uh, he knew how to dismantle her because he was actually the dude that worked on placing her under glass a few years earlier. So he knew all the secret beats. So basically, this giant scandal erupted. The director of the Louvre was forced to resign and the crowds of people mourning the Mona Lisa just rushed to the Louvre and began pointing fingers. The New York Times retroactively compared this public display of grief to that scene in the wake of Princess Diana's death in 1997. Thousands of people poured into the Louvre to stare in shock at this blank wall where she had once hung, and they began to leave flowers and notes and other remembrances. So anyway, back to this thief. So for two years, he kept the piece of art in his apartment. Some say he hid it under his bed in an apartment. It stayed there for two years until he got the bright-ass idea to go to Florence and try to sell the art to an art dealer. Which, I mean, come on. How dumb do you have to be to think that after two years, people would forget that the Mona Lisa is missing and think that you can get away with selling it? So anyway, he shows up like a fucking spy with a box with a false bottom and he pulls it out and is like, Ta-da, buy this for me. And they were like, fuck no, dude, you're going to jail. So during his trial, he claimed to have acted out of patriotism. He said that the painting had been stolen by Napoleon and that it deserved to be in Italy. But as we have learned, Mona Lisa was brought to France by Leonardo and it was not stolen by Napoleon. So, so he did not study up on his art history. During the two world wars, the Mona Lisa was evacuated for fear of bombing. And I would also argue for fear of theft because during this time, especially World War II, Hitler was stealing shit. He had the Nazis stealing the most precious works of art around the world and they were either destroying them or hoarding them to put into this giant museum that he was going to build in honor to himself. God, what a dick. Um, If you've never seen the movie Monuments Men, please do. It is so fucking good. But it's also true, and it will just rip your heart in half, too. People died saving these works of art. It's it's such a good story. Anyway, between September 27th, 1938 and June 17th, 1945, it traveled 10 times, and it was hidden in a box identified by the number MNLP number 0 which stood for National Museum of the Louvre Painting Number no. 0. The Mona Lisa moved at the mercy of military defeats, invasions, and occupations until it finally found its place back at the Louvre on June 15, 1945. The painting has also withstood attempts at vandalism as well. 
The first occurrence of vandalism was in 1956 when somebody threw acid at the bottom half, severely damaging this master. Who throws acid at a painting? What kind of per- what kind of who hurts you? Honestly, why? Why acid? How do you get acid in a museum? I have so many questions, but God, what a dick. Anyway, that same year, some other asshole got the great idea to throw a rock at her and it removed a chip of paint near her elbow. That was actually painted over and corrected. But after that, they were like, fuck this shit and put her under bulletproof glass. After the Louvre launched a four-year, $6.3 million renovation in 2003, the painting has its own room now. She is sealed in a shatterproof glass box with natural light. It has a temperature control that keeps her at a brisk 43 degrees Fahrenheit and a small little spotlight that brings out the true colors of Da Vinci's original paints. I did say that she was back at the Louvre and she's been there ever since, but she did travel the world very briefly, beginning with an invitation from Jackie O herself. So Jackie Kennedy called French officials and said that she would love for the painting to visit the United States. And the president actually agreed The Mona Lisa went on display at the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C., and then the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City, as well as a couple other countries. Another fun fact, in 2010, members of the Italian National Committee for Cultural Heritage announced that microscopic scrutiny of the work had revealed new discoveries and that they found in her right eye was a very, very tiny but decipherable LV, which are the initials of Leonardo da Vinci. So, apparently, she's broken a lot of hearts. She was put on display for the public in 1815, and she apparently inspired suitors. I I can't. So, they would bring her flowers, write her poems, write impassioned notes, and that's a quote, that would gaze into her burning eyes and declare their love for her. I just, I, I have no words. I don't get it. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I am the only person on this planet that doesn't understand why she's that mesmerizing. Anywho, it gets darker from here. So the Mona Lisa often made men do strange things, wrote R.A. Scotty, who wrote Vanished Smile, a mysterious theft on Mona Lisa. Quote, there were more than one million artifacts in the Louvre collection, but she alone receives her own mail, which also blows my fucking mind. Mona Lisa received many love letters, and for a time they were so ardent that she was placed under police protection. The painting has its own mailbox at the Louvre because all the love letters it receives. And people have died from loving her. So in 1852, the artist named Luc Maspero supposedly threw himself from a fourth floor of a Parisian hotel, leaving a suicide note that said, quote, For years I have grappled desperately with her smile. I prefer to die. Just, it escalated so quickly, and I'm so sad that he died, but I don't understand it. But that's so tragic. (sighs) Next, in 1910, one Enamor fan came before her to shoot himself as he looked upon her. Which, again, I just, it's so tragic, and I just feel very sad that these men didn't get the help they needed. (sighs) And that's as dark as it gets, because now I'm going to rage! Just pure rage, like that squirrel I talked about from Norse mythology. I think the Mona Lisa's history is fascinating. I like the stories I heard when I was at Versailles about people just falling in love with her and stealing her and how she traveled from king to king. And But 
I don't understand it. <laughs> I don't. I know that she marks a revolution in portrait paintings, but I honestly think she's overrated. And I know this is probably a very unpopular opinion, and I'm probably alone in this, but hear me out. She wasn't famous until she was stolen. Like I mentioned before, she was in an office for a long time and nobody saw her but cleaning ladies. She was basically in a broom closet for like a decade and nobody gave a shit. And it wasn't until she was stolen that she got worldwide recognition. At that point, I don't think anybody, unless you were in France or Italy, really knew about it. Just crazy to me. And this is very relatable today. She became famous for being famous. And it was this media attention that created this buzz around her. Now, don't get me wrong. I love a good conspiracy theory. I do. Uh, There are so many for this painting. That it's Da Vinci in drag. That it's his lover, a man, also in drag. But I'm not sure if I buy it since there are so many recorded documents about Lisa being a real person. But it's just beyond me that out of every masterpiece that Da Vinci created, that this is the one that everybody knows and that this is the one that has the most theories. Which I know The Last Supper has a lot of theories too, but not nearly as much as this. I don't think there's a single person alive that has the internet or the TV or a movie that doesn't know what this is. I just, I don't understand it. And I also get pissed off that like, movies have fact checkers. Okay, they do. They have fact checkers. Why can't one goddamn person that works for a movie or TV show fact check the size of this painting? I know it's not very dramatic, but I feel like people are being lied to. You should fact check that shit. The worst one was that movie 2012 where they're like, the end of the world's coming and they're loading up that barge with all the world's art. For one, the Mona Lisa was enormous. And then fucking the Statue of David was like tiny. And I'm like, why can't you just do your fucking research? Ah, rage. Anyway, this painting is a security hazard. It's actually creating an obstacle to the people that work at the Louvre and the people trying to visit the Louvre because it is literally a mob. And I've been to the Louvre. I have seen this bomb firsthand. I know that when I was there, it was the weekend that the Da Vinci Code opened. It was insane. It was literally people being trampled to go into this little room And you'd be squeezed in there like sardines and it was just security guards screaming, no photo. And then people taking photos anyway and just trampling you to get closer to her. And I just don't understand it because there's so much other cooler shit I wanted to see. But I digress. The Louvre houses the greatest collection of art anywhere in Europe, arguably. And the palace itself is a masterpiece. So I just don't understand why people don't appreciate everything else more. Because, like, in 2018, 10 million people came to the Louvre. And I guarantee you that most of those planned that visit around the Mona Lisa. And, again, it just boggles my mind. (laughs) I heard a quote while researching that made me laugh. It says, The Louvre is being held hostage by the Kim Kardashian of the 16th century Italian portraiture, the handsome but only moderately interesting Lisa Girondini, better known after her husband, La Gioconda, which also, that's bullshit. Why can't she have her own last name? Anyway, whose renown so eclipses her importance that no one can even remember how she got famous in the first place. So that quote comes from an article that I found called It's Time to Take Down the Mona Lisa, and I highly recommend everybody Googles that. But it has a really interesting point that it's a security hazard, an educational obstacle, and that 
that Louvre cannot keep up with the demand for this, you know, just hiring security, trying to keep her safe. It's just a huge, just clusterfuck, honestly. And I'm in a emerging professionals group of museum workers and every single person agreed that this should go down or it should be moved into its own building. But there are people that saying, well, maybe they should take her down and only put her up for seasons, like off season, which is going to be an interesting argument because I can imagine working in the vicinity of the Mona Lisa, how fucking horrible that must be. <laughs> I'm going to wrap this up, I promise. But off the top of my head, I have not Googled. I'm going to list 10 pieces of art that I think are more impressive than the Mona Lisa. I'm just going to say it. Number one, Code of Hammurabi. Like, why are you going to go to the Louvre where the first written laws of mankind are located and you're just going to just walk by and not give a shit about that? I mean, eye for an eye, bitches. Like, why wouldn't you want to see that? I just, I don't know. And then Venus de Milo. What? Everybody knows that statue. Why wouldn't you want to see it for yourself? When I was there, there was a mob around the Mona Lisa and not a single goddamn person was looking at the Venus de Milo. It's just not fair. It's not. Um, The Raft of the Medusa. I wrote a bomb ass paper on this when I was in college, but it's the, it's enormous. Like it's bigger than the walls of my house, honestly. And it's this cool story. It's not cool. It's tragic. But there's a shipwreck and then they build a raft out of the wreck and everybody's floating. And I think they're on the water for like 10 days or something. And they start starving and they start eating each other. So it's like this tale of just dehydration and death and cannibalism. And it's dark and it's dramatic. Such a good painting. Give it a Google. The Louvre has my favorite sculpture, Psyche being revived by Cupid. And I remember when I started studying art history in school and I saw the sculpture and it really spoke to me and I went to look to where it was located and I realized that I was in like a building next to it, but I never saw it. I was so pissed. And I only got two hours to be in the Louvre and that's not enough time to see literally anything, but someday I will go back. If you're into nudes, you'd love the Grand Odalise because she is like the most renowned reclining nude in history there's also liberty leading the people which i think if you've ever seen any textbook or picture about the french revolution that's the picture you're gonna see the coronation of napoleon is actually at the louvre and again it is enormous it's probably twice the size like tall of my walls my house and wide it's enormous and it's beyond me i don't understand how it was painted It's just so beautiful and so large and just such a grand scale. I actually have a copy of that painting. I have a uh, print because I am a goddamn nerd. (laughs) There are these, also, there are these statues. I think they're called Lamasu. Lamasu. I should have looked that up. Sorry, but I was trying to make a point that I know 10 things off the top of my head. So please forgive me. Anyway, there are these Assyrian creatures that guard entrances at the temples. And I'm pretty sure it's like 3000 BCE. But yeah, they're amazing. And they are lining these doorways. And I just loved it. I loved all the Assyrian art. Um, They're so cool. Like some of the creatures have five legs. And it's because it gives the impression of motion. It's so fucking cool. And then I think, yeah, counting on my fingers. Yeah, 10. The Oath of the Horatii is a David painting. And I love a good David painting. So fucking cool. 
also French. And I remember that in like every art history class because it's a perfect example of like perfect symmetry and color. And it's just so fucking cool. So there it is. There's I'm ranting. I appreciate the Mona Lisa. I think she's overrated. So there is my verdict. I understand she's important. She's great. But I think that of everything that's ever been created throughout humanity, maybe that's not the most important one. Again, unpopular opinion. So now I'm going to put on some whole music, go ambush my husband, and do round two of our segment. There we go. Are you ready? Ruger's judging the shit out of me. <laughs> See his face? Ants, are you ready? Yes. Okay. Who is this? Mona Lisa. Okay, who painted her? <laughs> Saw a TV show on this one. <laughs> uh, Don't look at the writing. <laughs> damn it. Uh, oh, it's right there too. Uh, somebody with a ear that's missing. No, that's Van Gogh. Oh. But that's who my guess is. Van Gogh. <laughs> no, Leonardo da Vinci. Good for him. Okay. Do you think I raved about it or ranted? Mm, ranted. You're right. Woo-hoo. I think it's fucking overrated. I know. And this is why. <laughs> because it's tiny. It is tiny. And you went to Europe and I you did. saw it and you were like, this is bullshit. I did. I did. Oh, you listen to me. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. And what do you think about it? There's better stuff out there. (laughs) I agree. There's so much better. Her head looks too big. (laughs) Apparently, a dude that was cleaning the painting took off her eyebrows. He scrubbed too hard. She got like a line. She lined up her her widow's peak right there or something. (laughs) I don't know what's going on there. It was actually a fun fact. Or she's a lunch lady because it's got a line across (laughs) there. She's wearing a hairnet. Well, in the Renaissance, it was actually fashionable for people to shave, women to shave their foreheads, to have high foreheads. <laughs> uh, he's vomiting now. But yeah, that was that was the style. All right. Thanks. You're welcome. That was it. I am the best. You are the best. Thank you guys so much. I hope you really enjoyed this first episode of Rave or Rage. I will be doing a new one shortly. And let me know, do you want this to be a monthly or a bi-weekly thing? Because you know I can't help myself and I want to research constantly. So I probably could do this bi-weekly. But thank you guys so much for being a part of our Patreon fam. I really appreciate every single one of you. (sighs) All right. Okay. Okay, bye.